Turn off your lights. Make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. My mom hasn't been the same since she returned from being lost in the woods for three days. Near have I since I read her last diary entry. I'm thinking of telling the kids about my estranged twin trying to get in touch with me, but I don't want to expose them to her toxicity. Can you hear that? By As a Raven Dreams. Can, can you hear that? I stared up at the ceiling as the light of the foggy night stretches its way into the side window. A few moments of silence passed before I got my answer. Hear what? She rolled over slightly, annoyed huff escaping her lungs before she continued her thought. I hear cricket outside the window. I think there's a frog out there, but I don't hear anything else. You can't hear... I paused and thought about what it was that was playing in my head. I don't know, it kind of sounds like talking. I focused on the sound a bit harder. Yeah, like people are talking. I can't make out the words, but it definitely sounds like a conversation. You're probably just hearing the TV next door or something. She groggily pulled the blanket over her shoulder and turned away to ignore me. This is the third night in a row you've gone on about this. Please, just go to sleep, Wayne. Her dismissal didn't mean much to me at this point. After seven years of marriage, distance is expected. Still, the fact that she couldn't hear what I was hearing was nothing less than disappointing. If she wanted me to shut up about it, I would shut up about it. Despite this, I wasn't planning on going to sleep. I was going to figure out what the hell was going on where this sound was coming from. For a few moments, I just laid there and stared at the cobwebs in the corner of the room. I counted the water spots in the ceiling from the time we had a hole in the roof. I traced imaginary lines in the popcorn bumps and the plaster that coated the surface above me. None of this was helpful. My brain was racing, and there was no way I was going to be able to ignore the conversation as it played out. The best way for me to describe what I was hearing, besides just saying that it was someone talking, put in a pair of earphones, set the volume on your phone to the absolute lowest setting you can, then play some sort of sports commentary, or something, but make sure that it's in a different language. Basically, it felt like that. Like I was listening to a conversation in a different language, at the absolute lowest volume possible. Despite what my wife said, this was not the third night with the voices. This was the second. The first night, it was simply a beeping, or something like a tone. Then the second night, it turned into these voices. And while she may have won nothing to do with the situation, I had to agree that it was a pain in the ass. I turned and sat up on the edge of the bed, glancing over at the clock. 1.46. It was a quarter to two in the morning, and I was stuck sitting there, listening to something that only I could seem to hear, unable to sleep. I pushed myself up and walked away from the room, towards the hallway and into the bathroom, shutting the door behind me. 
I stepped up to the sink and ran the water, then splashed myself in the face a couple times, staring at the drops as I fell into the sink. At that moment, it almost seemed like the voices stopped, like there was nothing more than silence pulsing in my ears. For that moment, it almost seemed like things were going to be okay. The moment was short-lived, though the voices were no longer what I heard. At that point, the sound of the conversation was replaced once more with the sound of the beeping. That weird, rhythmic tone that would occur every second. Beep. 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 This was actually more annoying than the talking, and what's worse is that it was actually louder this time. Almost like it was coming from within the same room, or a room adjacent. I walked around the small bathroom with my ear to the wall, and for three of the four walls there was nothing. No indication the tone was in any of these directions. However, when I stepped into the shower and firmly placed my ear against the plastic-lined wall, I could swear the tone was louder. Part of me was certain that whatever was making these sounds had to be on the other side of that wall. I thought about the layout of my own home for a moment and became even more confused. As far as I can tell, that wall was directly against the walk-in closet in my bedroom. If it wasn't there, the sound should have been louder when I was in the bedroom. I shook off my confusion and walked back towards my bedroom, around the bed, and into the walk-in closet. It was cramped and full of clothing and various other stowaway items, but the sound didn't seem any louder when I entered. I started to pull boxes away from the wall and threw clothing out onto the floor of the bedroom until the room was pretty much empty. The tone continued, but it hadn't increased. I once more pressed my ear against the wall, the wall that was on the other side of the shower, and at that moment, it seemed that the tone had gone just a bit louder. This sound, this constant beeping, this constant droning that was sure to drive me insane, was somehow on both sides of this one wall simultaneously. I pulled back and stared at the painted drywall, that shade of eggshell white that every modern home seemed to be painted, and thought about this situation. There was no way that sound was coming from either side of the wall. I had access to both rooms, which meant that it was likely coming from inside the wall. Whatever the hell it was that was keeping me awake, Whatever it was that was producing these sounds had to be inside the wall. The matter of how was a question that I assumed I could answer later, but I had to find whatever this thing was. I turned back into the pile of items on the floor and grabbed a screwdriver, readying myself to tear into the wall, only to pause for a moment as I heard my wife snore. It would have been impolite for me to start in on the wall right next to her. So, I took myself back to the bathroom, back into the bathtub, and back to the plastic lining on the wall. It was difficult, I will admit, 
At first, I couldn't seem to pierce the plastic with my simple, flat-headed screwdriver. And then it occurred to me that this was likely just a protective coating over the drywall, and all I had to do was find the edge. I scraped along the corner until I was able to pry a small piece between the two layers, and I pulled it away. The vinyl cover ripped away from the bare drywall, pulling chunks of paper cover with it. After a few moments and a few cuts on my hands, I was able to completely remove it. I then started into the sheetrock, prying away chunks of gypsum and successfully destroying the wall of my bathroom. From an outside perspective, I probably looked crazy, but I knew I was making progress. The tone sounded just slightly louder. I stabbed the wall over and over, breaking it more and more until there was a sizable hole. Leaving only exposed insulation and the piece of drywall from the closet, the wall between the two rooms was rather thin, but I was certain the sound was coming from there. I paused listened closely and waited for the next hint of where it was coming from. I could hear it, the tone, and it was certainly coming from inside the wall. I glanced around at what was exposed until my eye landed on an electric wire, an electric wire that seemed to go further into the wall. Why on earth would there be wiring in the wall behind the shower? It had to be the power line to whatever device was in there. I took my screwdriver and kept prying away at small pieces of drywall, tracing the wire all the way around the corner into the doorframe, where it went up and over and into the hallway. I tirelessly tore holes into the walls, tracking this cable that I knew had to go where I needed to. A few times I thought I lost track of the line, but I just made a bigger hole in the wall to make sure I knew exactly where it was going. It ran through insulation. I ripped it out. It ran through the studs. I used a screwdriver to crack them enough to pull the line. It ran behind the tile of the kitchen, and you can be damn sure that little ceramic wasn't going to stop me. I admit that I was left with a bit of a mess when I was done, and what's worse is my adventure led me nowhere. The wire I was tracking led to the garage, which then ended up in the circuit box, and out into the garage the sound seemed the quietest. In my moment of disappointment, I had a brilliant idea. If this device, this annoyance, was running on our electricity, then I could just flip the breaker and it would go away. I reached up to the main breaker and shoved it to the off position. As soon as I heard the click, the sound stopped. There was no more tone, no beeping, no voices. There was nothing. I could feel myself grinning at the electric box as the pride of solving this problem washed over me. I felt it was time to go to bed and get some sleep. I earned it. I walked back into the house from the garage and glanced around the room, only to be met with my wife staring at me from the hallway. She stared with her mouth wide open, 
her eyes shifting to the various holes in the wall, the damaged tiles, the detritus that was scattered around our home. I held my smile. Yeah, there was a bit of mess, but I could deal with it in the morning. What the hell did you do, Wayne? She screeched at me. I stepped into the living room and reached out to her, embracing her in a tight hug. She didn't reciprocate. I solved the problem. The sound is... I paused as I held her in the hug. From the silence of the room rose a familiar sound, that horrifying sound of a conversation in a different language, muffled and unintelligible. Wait, can you hear that? You destroyed our house. I disregarded her claim and shushed her, pulling away to listen to the room. As I did, it seemed to grow more faint. For a moment, I struggled to hear it, but it quickly clicked. I leaned back in towards my wife's face, and the sound of the speaking grew slightly. I pulled away again, and the volume decreased. I knew what this meant. I knew what I had to do. I think I get why you can't hear it, honey. I smiled at her slightly as my fingers tightly gripped the flathead screwdriver. But we're going to fix it. Don't worry. In my drunken stupor that evening, I saw across the street a mirror image of myself. As I tried to stumble across the intersection to try and reach the thing, I felt the impact of a car and realized my fate as the mirror image smiled cruelly at me. When I woke up, I didn't have a mouth. Bye, Holly Fernwright. When I woke up, I didn't have a mouth. I ran to my mom's room and she started screaming. I wanted to scream too, but I couldn't. At the hospital, the doctors were very confused. They took all kinds of x-rays and scans. My mom wanted them to cut me a new mouth, but they said it wasn't that simple. They kept me there for a few days, but aside from not having a mouth, I was fine. I didn't have to eat anymore. Somehow, I just never got hungry. The doctors did everything they could to figure out what happened to my mouth, but after a few days, it seemed like they were more scared of why I wasn't hungry. After those few days in the hospital, they sent me home. Mom said the insurance wouldn't pay for it anymore. I was still confused, but thought the best thing to do was just to move on. Mom even seemed to feel a little better. On the car ride home, she made a joke about having one less mouth to feed. I wanted to laugh at that. Going back to school was tough. Even my friend shied away from me. So I wore a mask to cover where my mouth used to be. Even then, I could hear people talking about me behind my back. I carried around a little whiteboard to write things on, but it wasn't as fast as talking. I tried to focus on my classes but everything was just harder. Obviously, I had to drop my public speaking class. I stopped eating lunch with my friends and would go to the library to read. It was just too awkward to sit around with everyone else eating. Even when people did talk to me, it seemed like when they weren't talking about my mouth, they were thinking about it. It was the same thing at home. 
My mom and I used to eat dinner together every night. But now, I just sat and watched TV while she ate. A few times at first, she'd forget and cook me something too. She'd just apologize and put it in the fridge. I didn't even used to like her cooking. But those days, I would have done anything just for one bite. I tried to spend time with her anyway, but eventually I decided to spend more time out of the house. Being around anyone just felt weird. At least, if I wasn't there, they wouldn't have to think about my weird, non-mel situation. I end up going on long walks through the woods. I leave a note saying I was sleeping over at a friend's house and then just start walking out past where the streets ended, into the trees. Sometimes on weekends, I'd even keep walking into the night and the next morning before I got home. I didn't seem to run out of energy or get tired. Probably a side effect of not having to eat. I still slept, at least back then. When I was able to get away from other people and just walk into the stillness of nature was really when I was the happiest. At least there, my silence wasn't strange. I come across deer and have conversations and subtle gestures and twigs snapping underfoot. Even after the sun went down, I didn't stop walking. I carried a flashlight with me at first, but after a few weeks, I didn't need it. One weekend, I decided to walk to the next town over just to see if I could. I spent all night walking through the dark forest, avoiding the trails and roads. As the sun was coming up, I made it to the edge of town and walked down the empty roads as the town started to wake up. I wonder what I could do now that I was here. The few times I had been in this town had been with my mom when we had stopped at a local coffee shop. I made all the way to the door before I thought about what I was doing. I had no way of reliving those memories, not even a way of relating it to another person about it. I just stood there, looking in through the glass for a few moments and left. I didn't go back home after that. I just walked off into the forest again, away from the lights and the noise of the city into the accepting stillness of the woods free from fatigue and direction. I walked between the trees like a shadow. My body changed further as it approved of my decision to flee. It was subtle at first. My legs grew longer to let me step over logs and streams, while the rest of my body became better at seeing and moving at night. I hadn't looked in a mirror in a while, but the last time I came across a hiker, they turned and fled. I can see the city lights from the hills, I turned my phone back on for the last time to post this, just in case anyone wants to know how my story ended. I am fine with my 15 minutes of fame being on the side of a milk carton. I don't know if I could have it any other way. It's quiet where I am now. I go down to the edge sometimes, the place where the woods and the town tentatively touch. I can't go back over that border. It's not a word I know anymore. But here, in the safe, still solitude of the trees, I can embrace what was always within me. Maybe that's worth not going back. I took a uniform from a fallen enemy and hoped I could escape in the future unnoticed. 
It has been years of helping those monsters with brutal interrogations, executions, and cruel war, and my hopes of freedom finally died when we conquered the last remaining stronghold of my former allies. I used to live by a cemetery. By A. Lee. I used to live by a cemetery. I could see it from my bedroom window. Some nights I would look out at it in boredom, willing in my mind for something to happen, something otherworldly to appear. Nothing ever happened, of course. It remained dark and empty. No zombies or ghosts ever appeared. But it was a game I played with myself. Stupid, but fun. That night was different, though. That was the night everything changed. As the years went by and I grew older, my fascination with the cemetery waned as childhood curiosities do. For whatever reason, though, as I was getting ready for bed, something drew me to the window. When I looked at the cemetery, I saw that there was a light emitting from the ground at the center of the headstones. I tried to figure out where it was coming from. A car? A flashlight? Maybe somebody lit a candle? I dismissed every explanation and decided to go and find out what the light was. In all the years I lived there, I had never seen anyone on its grounds. The headstones were so old that they juddered from the earth crooked and yellow. They looked like they would crumble if you touched them. The moon was huge, there were no stars, and the air was crisp and sweet. It was unpleasantly cloying, like fruit gone bad. It had rained earlier in that day, and mud squished beneath my feet. My heart thumped in my chest painfully, and anticipation rushed through my veins. There was something serene about being in a cemetery night. I had been here dozens of times and never found it scary. This night felt different, though. It felt different. It was as though this was the moment in my life that I had been waiting for. The light was brighter, and there were more of them. They weren't coming from the ground as I thought, but rather from each headstone. The epitaphs glowed as white as angel wings. I read the one nearest to me, and it said, Baby, 0000-0000. Underneath it, in red paint, was a crude drawing of a stork with a distended stomach. I frowned. I had never seen this one before, and it's not as though you would forget a thing like that. I checked the one closest to it, and it was the same date. It said, Child 1111-1111. Underneath it was another drawing. This time it was a smiley face, but where the eyes should have been, there were only X's. My heart was beating even faster, and my mouth had gone bone dry. I watched as the words on the stone grew darker until they bled a crimson red. I made to run, and that's when I saw her. 
It was a human hunched over her grave, her eyes fixed on me hungrily, and she smiled at me. I saw how unnaturally wide her mouth was. The woman straightened, and I heard bones snap. She leered at me, and I screamed as she began to limp towards me on broken feet. Her gait was slow, but purposeful. She was very tall and very thin. Her skin was the color of fresh paper, and her hair was wild and white like snow. Her fingers were hooked into claws. They looked like talons of a bird. I was frozen in place. I forgot how to breathe. And as she came closer and closer to me, I saw just how wide her mouth was. And God, she had so many teeth. I don't know how she could see me because she had no eyes. There were only empty black sockets, half full with dirt. My paralysis broke and I turned and ran. I ran out of the cemetery and into my house. I didn't stop running until I reached my bedroom. My blinds were still open, but there was no way I could close them tonight. I could feel her underneath my window staring up at me with those horribly empty eyes. I don't remember falling to sleep, but the sun woke me. It was so bright outside that I felt like crying in relief, and I rushed to close the blinds. I can't lie, I did look and saw nothing. The cemetery was as it always looked, peaceful, empty. From then on, I never looked out my window at night. I kept my windows closed and bought blackout curtains, so nothing could look at me either. I moved out a few days ago. I had graduated and was excited to go away for college. It had been a year since my excursion into the cemetery, and my senior year was so busy that I forgot about it. It was so surreal, so otherworldly terrifying, that I convinced myself that it was a bad dream, even though, deep down, I knew it wasn't. I was more than happy when me and my parents finished packing and finally drove off. Of course, I couldn't help but peek at the cemetery. Nothing. There was nothing there. If I hadn't just imagined it, at least I had gotten away. I was going far from the cemetery. I let out a breath that I didn't realize I'd been holding in for a better part of the year. At least, that's what I thought. You see, I've been having strange dreams lately. In my dreams, it's always night. There's no stars, only the moon. And it is the color of fresh, dark blood. The woman is there. She's standing in front of me, smiling that wide, toothy grin. She dips her finger into something I thought was paint, but now I see her palms are bleeding. She is drawing with her own blood. She's so close I can smell the rotting fruit on her breath, and her hair tickles my face. I am frozen in place as her canvas, 
so still as she draws clumsily on my forehead. Mine, she rasps. Mine. It is all she ever says. When she is done, I wake up drenched in sweat. This night was different, though. See, after she drew on my forehead, she grasped my shoulders with strong hands and turned me to face a headstone. It looked new among the others, and in shiny letters I saw my name, my birth date, and this year as the date of my death. Below the epitaph drew in her blood is a face with dark eyes and a crooked mouth, which is made into a frown. I would just chalk it up to another nightmare. I mean, what else could it possibly be? But when I woke up and went to the bathroom, I saw my reflection. On my forehead is a face with empty sockets for eyes. When I touch it, my hand comes away wet and smeared with blood. I can hear her now. Beneath my window, she calls for me. Mine. She says, mine. I realize now that she marked me, and no matter where I go, she'll just follow. I used to live by a cemetery, and I've learned that curiosity has many consequences, and it is best to leave the dead and their resting place alone. I'm sorry, but we can't let you on board without a reservation. It's against our company policy. I stood there speechless as the nearly empty lifeboat floated away, leaving the rest of us here to sink into the endless abyss. And with that, my friends, our time together is coming to an end. As always, I'd like to thank the three writers who let me bring their stories to life this evening. As always, it's an honor to be trusted to bring the stories to life. I really enjoy trying to bring someone else's story into the real world, into something you can hear and almost see in some ways. And the first writer, as the Raven Dreams, also made the thumbnail this evening. So, you get a double thanks. Thanks, dude. It's always great when you make a thumbnail for me. You always blow it out of the water. Now, if you're a new friend, well, I hope you'll subscribe and turn that pretty little bell to all notifications. If you enjoyed these stories, hit that like button and make sure it feels it. If you'd like to help this channel slash podcast grow, please just share it with anyone who might enjoy it. You'd be surprised how much that helps. And if you would like early access to these stories and some bonus ones, well, I have Patreon and memberships, where for a dollar a month you get access to both those things and some extra bonuses as well. All the links are down below, besides, of course, that little join button down there as well. And a quick note to the podcast people, there'll be no coffee stream this Friday coming up, but you'll have a story on the next Sunday as well. Now, last but never least, I would love a comment, but I'll get you that Sunday word first. On screen right now is everyone who left me a note. Well, 
a comment, because note was last week's word. Thank you guys as always. I really enjoy comments. Now, on to this Sunday's word, which is defiant. So, as always, write me a sentence down below and join me next week's video slash photo. And if you're on the podcast, go to Twitter, adding 242 reads, write me a sentence as well, and same thing will happen, you'll be in next week's video slash photo. But as always, guys, thank you for watching and listening. It really means the world to me. Sleep tight and don't let 42 bite.